Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. Context of white supremacy, Gus T. Renegade, and for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. On Saturday, February 10th, there was a workshop in Seattle, Washington. I was at a white church in a part of Seattle called Queen Anne. I just talked about this neighborhood about two weeks ago uh, when I did our first broadcast uh, since we've been back on the air since my house was flooded. Uh, I explained that my first uh, temporary residence after the flood was in Queen Anne uh, on the exact same church street, excuse me, on the exact same street as the church where this event was held. So a listener uh, informed me about this event. It was called the White Ally Toolkit. And the listener, she said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pay for a ticket if you are able to attend this event ask some questions, what have you, try to practice counter-racism if you're in attendance. And I contacted, uh, as did the listener, we both contacted uh, the folks who were running this workshop, and uh, it was a white female, the reverend of the church, uh, Katie Lang. Uh, She wrote me back, and she said, sure, uh, the, the fee was $20 to attend, but you can come for free. So I went. Uh, It lasted about three hours. It was facilitated by a black male. Uh, His name is Dr. David Campt, C-A-M-P-T, David Campt. Uh, He facilitated, I think he's from North Carolina, at least that's uh, the address that he had on his uh, business cards and other contact info. Uh, But it was basically uh, Dr. Campt giving suggestions, ideas on ways that white people can talk to other white people who are racist and the word he would use, he wouldn't, for the most part, he did not call other whites or he didn't call whites racist. He would call them racism skeptics uh, for making statements that suggest that they uh, doubt the existence of racism or they don't like black lives matter and that sort of thing. Anyway, it lasts about three hours. Uh, What would happen? Some of the dynamics They would have Dr. Kemp speaking mostly on the mic to the entire group. And then we would break down into small groups. They had us seated 
uh, at small tables that could fit about five, six people. So he would talk for a while and then we would have small discussions at our table uh, amongst the five of us. And then it would go back to the big group. So I was able to have quite a few conversations with the whites at my table, which were interesting. You can hear, uh, hear those. And then eventually later on, uh, I was able to say some things uh, to the entire group, uh, got the microphone. And that's something I will encourage again. Uh, if you are a non-white person anywhere in the universe and you are an attempted counter-racist, you studied Mr. Fuller or Dr. Welsing, Dr. Cambon, whomever else uh, you think offers great information on counter-racism, what it is, how it works, uh, and what we should be doing to solve this problem. You do not just want to be a spectator. Uh, I would say make every effort to do what you can to demonstrate your understanding about racism, white supremacy, things that you can do uh, that would help other non-white people get a more accurate understanding of this problem. Things, times when you can pinpoint, challenge uh, another white person who's practicing racism, white supremacy, question a white person who is practicing racism, white supremacy, or just questioning whites, period. Uh, all of us should be coming up with our own list of questions, things that we want to ask uh, that push towards truth, revealing truth, particularly when other non-white people are present and can observe all of this happening. I've found that that can be very constructive, but try to take advantage. I don't necessarily say that attending every one of these events is the most constructive use of time and energy. We should really value our time and energy. But for me, when I attend these events and I'm able to question whites, I'm able to record so I can share that with others. Uh, I think that that is uh, great. Uh, but again, time and energy, how we're using our time and energy. We don't want to waste time. And in my view, any, any event, discussion, dialogue that's supposed to be about racism where there is no definition of racism. Oh, man, they are about to waste a lot of time. There was no definition presented at this event, except when I gave my definition uh, very early. You'll hear that in the recording uh, with that. We'll go ahead and get started. Uh, I, I guess just a few quick things I'd point out quickly. Uh, you can pay attention for the music and the seriousness. Does this sound like something that is serious about addressing the problem of white supremacy? Uh, there is a 16-year-old white girl who was present at this event. Her mom spoke and her mom and I had repeated exchange. I accused her mom of practicing racism at the event, but she did come up and ask me some questions. Uh, she was, I think the most honest person there. She was talking very low. So you might have a hard time hearing her, but uh, we, and, and she came to speak with me in the middle of a big change in the room. So there was a lot of background noise, so it might not be as audible, but that happened. I thought that was important. Uh, and there was another cows listener present as well. I think you'll be able to hear that as well. But we'll go ahead and get started. Context of white supremacy. This is Gus T. Renegade at the White Ally Toolkit Workshop, Saturday, February 10 in Queen Anne, Seattle, Washington. And for everyone else who has chipped in to make this work, a little workshop takes a lot of effort. So thank you all for your help. Um, just a couple of words before we begin. The Well hosts about 18 to 25 public events a year, and we're a very small organization to do that. And we do it because we believe that a more just and compassionate society can be built apart through generous conversation and contemplative action in community over time. 
And so rather than having one-off events, we believe in helping people go deeply over time on issues. We have been focusing on racial equity for a number of years now. We started a workshop called Talking to Kids About Race for Parents and Kids. It's now become its own nonprofit called Kids and Race. And we really highly encourage you to look up Kids and Race if you're part of the organization and invite them to come and lead a workshop for your organization. We also have coming up this year uh, a woman named Jennifer Harvey, who's written a book called Dear White Christians. She's also written a book that is just about to come out called Raising White Kids. And she'll be here right now, tentatively scheduled for August the 22nd. That may change because she's only available in the evening, and we want more for time because she does such good work. So we're going to see if we can um, come up with another date so that we can have more time with her. Also, the skills that you're going to learn from David are not only applicable in talking about race with people, compassionate listening, and generous conversation around difficult topics. It might surprise you to know it's needed in a lot of areas in our life these days. So we have another series of conversations that might be helpful for you to practice some of this. And we have uh, one next week. Um, it's called Can't We Talk? And it's a series of dialogues and skill-building workshops free and open to the public once each month. This will be our second one. And this month we're going to be talking about how we develop our moral compass. And how do we listen to other people speaking from their moral compass and when they're talking. And uh, so that will be next week and you can learn more about that. We have handouts on the, on the table where you can come in and out. I think those are all my announcements. I say this at church on Sundays. There's something that hasn't been said that you need to know. Restrooms are the store. Uh, I'm around if you have any questions to answer those. Are there any questions before we begin about logistics in this place? Then I'm going to welcome Jordan to come forward for Kids for Peace to introduce David. Uh, but just for me, David, thank you so much for your work. And I thank you for your graciousness coming to a very small space like this uh, where we do little things by the seat of our pants and for being flexible. And for your, um, this is hard and holy work, so thank you for it. And I would like to welcome uh, Jordan to come forward and talk a little bit about his release and, and perhaps introduce David after that. Oh, Jordan. Thank you, Katie. Uh, again, my name is Jordan Goldbar, and I'm the Seattle Chapter Director of Kids for Peace. We are an interfaith youth movement that brings together Jewish, Muslim, and Christian youth from all over the Seattle area for dialogue programs, leadership development, and social change work. Um, and uh, I was at the workshop that David led uh, back in December down in Helmand City, uh, and I was just so thoroughly with what happened there that I knew that I wanted to get involved in some way in trying to allow more people to experience what, what happened. Um, and just to give one quick anecdote that illustrates, I think, the power of the workshop, um, as you'll see as we go through today, there's going to be an opportunity to do some role-playing to actually be able to practice some of these difficult conversations that I'm guessing many people have had in this room when it comes to talking about race and racism with people who are skeptics of fact that racism still persists in our country. And in the role play that I did, uh, my partner, sort of the scenario that they set up for me was the line, I don't, I don't get this Black Lives Matter thing. It really should be All Lives Matter. And so, and, and I have people who have, who have said that to me before and have really struggled with ways to respond. 
So we had the opportunity to role-play that um, during the workshop. And then the very, very next day, I was on the Bainbridge Island Ferry, and I was talking to somebody, and she prefaced her remarks by saying, now, you know, I'm really liberal and progressive, but, and I knew I was in trouble when I heard that, she said, I don't get this Black Lives Matter thing. Why is it at all Black Lives Matter? And I was so much better prepared um, to actually respond to that than I had been previously. And I came away from the field, from the conversation, you know, not knowing if I had changed this person's mind necessarily, but knowing that we at least had had actually a civil conversation. It seemed like another person was much more open to hearing another viewpoint. And hopefully there was sort of a crack made there um, to open up some light and to open up the possibility for future conversations. So that was one of the soul on the power of the, of the workshop. So thank you for that. Um, I think it's so important that we are here today. Obviously, we have a variety of identities in the room, but this workshop is really you know, targeted for people who identify as white. And you know, racism is a problem that was created by white people. And so we, as, as those of us who identify as white, we have a responsibility to be talking to other white people and trying to undo this legacy of so many generations of, of racism that, that we have created. Um, and we can't rely on people of color to be having these conversations. So um, thank you all for, for being here and for willing to step into these conversations that are, that are difficult um, and that are uh, you know, definitely challenging to have at times. So Dr. David Camp uh, has been working for over 25 years as a future presenter He's helped groups focus on a variety of topics, including strategic planning, conflict resolution, creating more inclusive decision-making, leadership, succession, cultural competence, and many other areas. His clients have varied widely and have included the U.S. military, the White House, large corporations, international organizations, foundations, governments, universities, national associations, and nonprofit groups. He's considered a national expert in the areas of inclusion and equity, stakeholder engagement, and conflict resolution and dialogue. His insights into the keys to more effective institutions and communities have been sought by small executive boards, fewer than a dozen, to large-scale summits involving thousands of people. In addition to speaking on these topics to live audiences, he also has numerous appearances as a media expert, appearing on national media outlets as well as local television, radio, and print media, local outlets all across the United States. And as you're going to see, he's also just an extremely engaging, fun presenter. Uh, we're going to have a great time here this morning. So thank you so much, David. We're really honored to have you here. All right. So uh, good morning, y'all. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be here. Um, and um, I really, really appreciate hearing the story about how somebody use the technique. Now, our, our goal is to try to engage this topic so we can engage other people. And uh, my sense is that a lot of times what happens around these issues of racism is that we have two strategies when people demonstrate that they have views that we call problematic. We either avoid talking about it, look at our shoes, Sort of talk about the weather, change the topic, or we come back them and confront them. And so the purpose of the session today is to talk about maybe there's a different way, 
Maybe there's a way we can engage people that's not avoiding, but that's also not combative that tries to provide a guide path to a better way of better way of thinking about these issues. That's the overall purpose. So I'm grateful for this wonderful space. What a fantastic place to worship a place to be. Um, I want to we will have to struggle with the visuals a little bit. Um, but uh, but uh, so you're typically split between me and other people for a little while. So as you can see, the purpose is to help anti-racism allies an alternative between confronting and avoiding. And the goal is to give you some tools that I will give you if I'm helpful, and then to actually practice before we leave, practice using it on one particular topic. The topic that we're going to gravitate toward today is the whole idea that nobody's a racist anymore. That stuff is all that, that. That used to be true, but it's not true now. So what we're going to gravitate towards is what do you do as an anti-racist ally, I was all the way, as you said. It's really important. It's, um, the techniques are best used by white people as a reason that would become clear. But we appreciate everybody who's here. Uh, what do you do when somebody says that? So that's what we're, we're gravitating to. Alright. The agenda. So we're going to do a little bit on who's here. We're going to first learn who's at your table. Um, so I, I want to, again, I want to acknowledge that's hard to read, so I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to read these things. We're going to look at who's here, who's at the table, and we're going to look at who's in the room. Then we're going to do an investigation of what do we already know. What do we already know about how to engage racism deniers? I totally call them racism skeptics, people who don't think racism is real, because I'm trying to get half of using neutral language that if I'm talking to one of them, they would not find that insulting. But there are people who deny all racism, and we're trying to deal with that. So we're going to look at what we already know. Then I'm going to present the method that I'm suggesting you should use, and it's based on my 25 years of work as a dialogue. Hi, I'm David, I'm a dialogue like I'm kind of obsessed about that. Right? How do people have a better conversation? So we're going to go this a method that has been found to be very effective. Um, we're going to do a little bit of work on how you relate to people who are racism skeptics. We're going to do a little bit of work on understanding your response type. Uh, people in your position, white allies, uh, as racist allies, in general, white allies in particular, there's some patterns in how people respond to what happens when the skeptical racism shows up, and as you should know your pattern and know the strength and weakness of your pattern. So you want to assess your pattern and then get into another group of people similar to you and have a conversation about your strengths and weaknesses. Uh, so we're going to move the table on that. Then we're going to, this will be toward the end, we're going to get time for it, is to engage that issue of no one almost supports racism anymore. And we're going to practice using the method that we've been talking about on that topic with one other person. This means that everybody in here will have a moment where they're going to role play in the racism together. So you can channel your uncle or your 
grandma or whatever, you'll have a chance to do that, and then you'll have a chance to shake it off, and it's really you, we know that, right? But you do have a service with the other person to work on their strategy. And then we'll do some, we'll decrease that as a group and do evaluating the call to action. So that is the order of business. And the goal is to end this at uh, 12.30, as we said. Okay, ground rules. We're going to try to keep the casino agreement, which is what happens here, stays here. I would suggest a modification that is useful is something called the Chatham House Rule, and that is you can reflect outside what happens, but don't put somebody's name tested. Don't put somebody's name for some identifying information. A lot of times in these kind of settings, things happen that are really epiphany. You learn something. You want to be able to bring that wisdom to the rest of your life, but don't attach anybody's name to identifying information. Um, I was wondering, did anybody come here with the intention of hurting other people? We have a special workshop for you if you did. <laughs> but since most people didn't, I think it is useful to know to just remember people's positive intention. That's important to remember that we're coming from a place of positive intention. Manage your own body, breaks, food in, food it out. That's on you. We're going to just keep going as a group. And we're going to take it, as you can see, we got people taking images. If you don't want your image, uh, you, don't, you don't want to capture people capture, but let us know. We'll take, a, we'll take a picture of you so we can know we get rid of the pictures that we might But the reason we do that is because this is a very unusual type of thing. I have not that many other programs that are about how to talk to other people. And so, um, as we try to spread the word about this, using uh, images, pictures, and video is very valuable for that. All right. Everybody's on the green index card. Here's what I like to write on the card. I like you to write on the card one statement that you hear from racist skeptics that it would be, it would be, we're going to do one thing today, but if we dealt with that, that'd be great. Because otherwise, I'm asking for all the sessions so that I can know which modules to create. Right? So, some statement, and not, don't describe the statement. Say it like somebody said it. Put it in quotes. Okay? What is a statement that you either hear commonly or that really bugs you when you hear it? Some statement that it would be, if this workshop was about that, that'd be great. So, a statement you want to respond better to. If I understand the task, it shouldn't take that long, right? Go ahead and say Did they hand out pins that we're supposed to bring to us? Thank you. Oh my gosh, I'm like watching. Oh wow. Take this one.
We're going to do is to say your name and occupation. And then how you feel about attending a whites-focused meeting about racism. Some of you may have attended meetings like this in the past, some haven't. There's people of color here. How do you feel about being at this type of meeting? Then the most fun thing you will do or have done within a week of today. So go back a week before the week. What is the most fun thing that you will have done or are going to do? Okay? So, uh, when your table is done, when you're, when you're done with all that, get up and make it give up collective, whoop, whoop, so we can know that you're done. Okay? If your table finishes before other tables finish, then you can go around again and share your comments. Okay, we're going to collect them at the end. Okay? So, it'll go something like this. My name is uh, David Kemp, I'm a facilitator. I really get a lot of energy out of White uh, House uh, Focus meetings. The most fun thing I'm going to do within a week of the day is I'd like to go skiing tomorrow. That's awesome. Um, so, notice that was quick. It was, we're looking for a, a tweet, not a blog of it. <laughs> So, um, and again, if you take a prison before the blue when you collectively if you're one of the first ones done, then go on the table again with your comments and how you feel about it. Okay? So, hope you have it in your head because what we're going to do is try to change this font to a different color to see if it can be clear. So, name on your patient, how you feel about those meeting like this, the most fun thing you do within a week of today. You got it? Let's go. Okay. <laughs> I'm Emily. I'm Emily. Uh, I'm a social worker and I work in administrative offices. And I'm just going to talk about everything. But, um, oh, Tenny was being. Um, I've done a couple meetings like this before. Like, focused on white people. It felt a little uncomfortable at first, feeling like this is the right avenue or like missing pieces. Um, but really centering on that it's my work to do and not for other people to educate me on. It's really for me to do. Um, and that's based. And most fun thing, um, last week I taught my three-year-old how to ski. Um, and he did great. He's a great friend. <laughs> <coughs> my name's Jeff. I'm a sole proprietor CPA. Um, <clears throat> let's see. I've got an airplane on Tuesday to go back east to Whitopia to New Hampshire. And one thing I'm looking forward to having this conversation with, or trying to figure out how to have this conversation with my race skeptic uh, brother-in-law, um, who who is a hardcore R. So anyhow, I don't know if that's exactly what I'm supposed to do. Uh, let's see. I'm taking my with my wife, my grandchildren, to pizza party uh, at church tonight. So we're looking forward to that. Is that all I was supposed to say? Okay. Sorry. Uh, my name is LeVar, uh, occupation, I'm a journalist, I uh, also host the talk radio program, um, 
in terms of being here in a space where it's mostly people who identify as white. Uh, I love that sort of thing. That's what I do for a living. Talk to white people about racism. I always look forward to that opportunity to ask white people questions uh, about racism, white supremacy. I guess that's one thing I would back up. Uh, they've used the term race, racism. I haven't heard a definition. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, I found that a lot of times people have these conversations and they don't give out definitions. The definition I use for the term racism, and I use the term racism and white supremacy as synonyms, the definition I use is a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. That's the definition I use. I think that definition is accurate. And I'm very leery when I participate in settings like this where there is no definition of racism because people just get to say whatever they want. It doesn't have to make sense. And there's no reference point to what do we mean when we say racism because many people have very different definitions. So I think that's important. Um, what's the other fun? Uh, my godchild is having his one year birthday tomorrow. I'm Molly. I am a commercial insurance broker. I insure tech companies for my paying gig. And then uh, just this week, a friend and I are starting a nonprofit urban farm um, with the goal of abolishing racism through the agricultural system. Uh, and uh, settings like these, um, I've really. Uh, enjoy the role play opportunity in particular. Uh, that's really like what brings me here is to get the opportunity to practice these conversations because it's where I feel like it's the most benefit. Um, I do like the idea of defining racism. I've always defined it as prejudice plus power specifically and I learned that through a Cardinal Lee workshop. So I'm kind of... That's, Coalition of anti-racists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting. Uh, we do have a different take there. I'm glad that you pointed that out. Uh, and then fun thing, uh, we're gonna go get away to a cabin next week uh, in the woods with some friends. Yeah. My name is Sharon, and I work for the National Wildlife Federation, and I raise money here in uh, this region. And. Uh, I'm excited to be here because I recently joined our DEIJ committee for the organization. We have about 350 employees across the U.S. and 6 million members, and each state has an affiliate. And I'm excited to help translate whatever I can to that broader environmental group because we're a pretty white group for the most part. And the more we can bring in different voices, the better chance our environment has to we'll have clean air and water for the future. So I think we all need to be talking together about that. Um, Fun thing. Well, it's my birthday today, so I'll share that with you all. And so, and I'm cake late, so I'm pretty excited. <laughs> Everybody here identifies white, all of you. Oh, I get out my disclaimer. 
I do not. I think he said there, I do not take the position that everybody came here with positive intentions. As a black person, I never, ever, ever take the position that white people have correct intentions for black people, not the people at this table, nobody in this room. I never, and in fact, I don't even think that's logical uh, for someone to suggest that non-white people think white people have correct intentions. I don't care what the setting is. Did anybody here think that that's not logical or that I'm being unreasonable with that stance? to enough of these where I don't think that that is the case. So, like, people are coming just because they want to, like, know how to challenge their, pro, their white supremacist focus, you think, or, yeah, or that white supremacy is such an influence that you can't? Uh, I'm sure they can answer better than I, but I have been to enough of these that I've concluded not every white person who attends these is interested in ending white supremacy. That is, and the system is still here. So, I mean, in some respects, I think that's pretty obvious. I got more comfortable. Once I had a solid definition for racism, white supremacy, I love this. It doesn't bother me at all. Do you mind actually repeating that if I can try to write that down? Repeating the definition? A global system of people who classify themselves as white. Who are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Anybody have a different definition for white supremacy, racism? Definition that you used, you said privilege and power? Yeah, uh, yeah uh, prejudice plus power. Prejudice. Do you have yeah. to be white to practice 
white supremacy racism? Uh, well, yeah, the, the having a position of power, basically. Uh, and I, well, it's tough, because I've only ever heard, I mean, I use it, basically, that definition, because it's the easiest way, if I can agree with somebody on, on that definition, to combat a reverse racism uh, argument. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, it doesn't have to apply to white people, but because white people hold power, uh, anytime you're prejudiced, it's racist. It can be considered racism because you're in a position. Hmm. Or if you don't hold that power, you can be prejudiced, but it's not necessarily racism because you're in a You don't hold the power.
and we instantly see what the group's diversity is. When they ask you a series of questions, on each question asked separately, just press the uh, number that corresponds to your choice. If you make a mistake, just do it again. A friend of mine says that you can vote as often as you like, but we're not entitled to your last vote counts. Right? <laughs> make a mistake, just do it again. And this first question is a warm-up question. So the first question, point your clicker at me and put it at this. Okay, so point it just for the first question. Okay? First question, warm-up question, make sure everything is working. Alright? Do you have any tattoos? If your answer, like a famous beauty philosopher, is no, do not put bumper stickers on a Bentley, you're to press one. If your answer is no, but you've considered it, press two. If your answer is yes, all those close to you can see it, press three. If your answer is yes, it's good for most folks, press four. If your answer is haven't seen my sleeve, press five. If you don't know sleeve is, don't press five. <laughs> What are the 
case of that, is there anything we want to do about that? Is that any suggestion? Is there any ideas about how we talk to other people, uh, given when that is? Now we recognize that all this stuff about, you know, uh, race is it's all social construct. Recognize all social construct. Which comes closest to describing your own color status? One person of color to white person. <laughs> okay, that's about a little bit at these events and uh, in general. These workshops that are get about 10 to 15% people of color. We appreciate that. Um, the techniques that we're going to use, that we're going to talk about, are reflect general principles from common resolution, nonviolent communication, and persuasion science. So you can use some of the strategies uh, outside of this context too. But it is also the case that the techniques we use in fight the race are a little more difficult for people to call to use, as you will see. But I'm happy that folks are here. Alright. Which of these best describe your orientation? Don't you plus or not? Attacked 
in a different kind of way if you're just trying to get them out of denial about racism. What is your household income last year? Now, with this question, you can hold the clicker close to your chest. Be <laughs> fine. Less than twenty-five thousand dollars. One. Twenty-five to fifty-two. Fifty to seventy-five. Three. Seventy-five to one fifty-four. One fifty-five. Think that racism against white people is just as big of a problem 
as racism against people of color. Essentially, white folks are split down the middle on that question. So part of the purpose of this project is to help people in the 45% have better conversations with people in the 55%. So we're trying to move that number. The goal of the project is to move that number, to flip it, so it's 55, 45 the other way by 2025. That's the goal of this project. So the goal of the project is to try to disseminate skills about how people who believe racism is real can talk to people who believe it isn't real so that number shifts over time. Because once I love these workshops, that's not going to happen if anybody wants to do these workshops. Right? What has to happen is, is that people like all have to learn these skills, get good at them, work with people and teach them to other people. But that's what this, that's the purpose of this. Alright. How do you feel about, how did you learn about this today? You, you liked it, you had a Facebook page, you heard it that way, somebody tagged you on the posting. Some friends on the bus all the way, you heard it from co-sponsor, the Kitchen Research Team of Valley Mountain, you got an email from the well, you got a new song on the Facebook advertisement for some other way. How did you first hear about this workshop today? Well, this is the glass type person. The most famous person is the Marvin Gaye person, but I think the glass type person has a person with power. Okay, so uh, the part of the great part of friend is that the friend is the biggest portion. And it's useful to see that the, I'm going to explain those Facebook ads is having some impact, it's useful to know that. So thank you so much for having uh, my value for it. 90% said some other way, how about how do you hear about it? From who's my voting some other way? Church Council. Church Council, what's it, Facebook? Yeah, not an app, but Facebook. Gotcha, okay. Okay, so just to be clear, and I'm going to ask some questions based on this. So, the, so in David's hierarchy, that 55-45 split, the 55% I call skeptics. There's a range of those people. you got people who are just simply skeptics. They don't believe racism is real, but they have to sort of take the moderate end of that. There are people who are actively resistant to the notion that racism is real and merits attention. And then there are people who are resentful, you know, and all the way down to the richest friends of all fighting for so, for the sake of this conversation, I'm calling all those people racism skeptics because they don't believe racism against people of color is a real problem, right? On the other hand, I'm, I'm calling as allies the other 45% of people. And of course, I'm, I'm familiar with the rhetoric about advocates and activists and all that, but for the sake of this conversation, all those folks are in the ally category, okay? So, that's how, that's, that's how I'm using that, those terms today. Um, Part of what we're trying to do is to equip you and encourage you to have effective conversations across the ally skeptic border. Right? That's the purpose of it. And I would define, to the next slide anyway, uh, I would define effective. Effective conversation is one in which you get to bring your authentic sensibility around racism to the conversation, 
And the skeptic leaves the conversation at least potentially interested in talking to you again about this. To me, that's that's how that's what effective is. Okay. We'll get to that question in a minute. How many times have you been to a meeting about race that was specifically organized as a caucus group of a caucus meeting from the same group? Kind of like today. You've organized things like this, you've gone several times, you've gone a few times, or you never had this your first meeting like that. Interesting, okay, so 37% of us have never been to that before. I want to give, give those people a round of applause. Thank you for coming to me. So we have a range of uh, perspectives and experiences in this room about meetings like this, and a range of commitment to this issue. That's great to see that. Okay, think about the closest 30 people to you, not on Facebook, but like in the actual real world. People close to you emotionally. Think of the 30 closest people to you. Here is the question. What number of those 30 people would you call racism skeptics? If the answer is no, all of them because you are deep in the one of the press one. If the number is a few, less than seven, press two. If the number is some, one of the team, press three. If the answer is most, one of the team, press four.
Okay, so we got 26% are thinking we're above average, and we have 28, 32% seem to think below average. So we have the first leg over here, where everybody, we all think other people are affected than me, right? So here's the good news. There are people in here who think that they are more effective than average. People think they're less effective. So what we're going to do very, very shortly is to look at what have we found to be effective and what have we found to be not effective. All right. Okay. There is a worksheet in your packet. The worksheet is on the right. It says lessons on engagement racism Here's what I like.
do too much emotion and people are like, whoa, I can't handle that. Yeah. Yeah. If, you know, if you get too passionate about it, people go, whoa, I don't want to even deal with it. criticizing the other people. Uh, I haven't found this workshop thus far to be particularly effective. Uh, we're at the halfway point thereabouts. We started at nine. Um, some of the, at least some of my thoughts, no definite voices, racism. I said that before. I can only continue to emphasize that. If we get an opportunity to speak publicly, I might have to say something about that because I think he asked the question about if people have attended a workshop like this before, and they were people who said no. That might mean that they don't have a foundation for racism, so let's make sure everybody's clear about what's being said. The music is bothering me. If this is a serious problem, then I'd rather take it seriously than be playing a lot of music to make this something where we can laugh every 30 seconds and be joking. People die because of white supremacy every day. I think that seriousness should be reflected in the conversation. 45% um, of white people being allies, I think beyond absurd, I don't think that that's true. Some of that would mean definition. What do we mean when we say white ally? I just don't think if there's a system of white supremacy, one can logically, honestly say that 45% of white people are quote-unquote allies. That just does not make logical sense to me. It cannot be if there's a system uh, of racism. Uh, and I guess I would ask, since everybody at this table identified as white, does anybody here identify as a white ally? Does anybody reference or think of themselves as a white ally? You know, reference, self-reference as a white ally? Uh, I reference as um, an anti-racist activist, but not necessarily ally, I guess. Anti-racist activist? Yeah. Okay. Any, or, like, okay. Anybody? I, mean, I, I would like to think I'm a white ally, but I probably don't do what you're supposed to do as an ally. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not out there doing a lot, but, like, if somebody said something I didn't agree with, I would speak up. You know what I mean? So that probably isn't an ally. I don't know. You know, I don't know my definitions well enough, but, you know, I am. So I don't know. Yeah. 
I'd like to think I am, but I'm probably not. And, and I, I guess I'd have to see what is that clear definition. Of but I'm trying to work towards that, and that's why I'm here. So. I don't, I don't, like, I'm um, also doing the work, but I don't think that's something that I can appoint myself. I'm not sure about that. Um, and so, no, I don't, that's not how I refer to myself. Um, probably similarly, I'm committed to doing, like, anti-racist work and being really intentional about it, but it's not going to be yeah, well, I would identify myself as being on the opposite of a race skeptic. Uh, you know, I don't know if that makes me an ally. Clearly, I've not been as active and assertive in doing this. I appreciate that lots of my knowledge is cerebral, which tends to be true of a lot of other things in my life, which doesn't translate to action, because clearly being knowledgeable and reading tons of stuff doesn't make me the most assertive ally, but clearly in terms of, you know, being willing to speak up um, uh, with uh, race skeptics, that's certainly not been a, been, been a, not a shrinking violet in that regard, but in terms of being as effective in being able to do that, clearly not, which is one reason that I'm here today to try and get better at it. It's a new category? Oh, okay. Not doing enough or not knowing even what a white ally is? Well, I don't know what it is, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know what your definition you're looking for. But Do you have a definition for the term? Well, I'd say somebody who is there and supports others who are... And, and like, I mean, my understanding of an ally and ally workshops I've gone to is that you're supporting others and you're standing up for other people and you're, you know, a friend in a way, you know, somebody who's supporting them. But I don't know if that's the definition you use or not. But just by that definition, is that something that you do on a constant basis? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I speak out, I say things, but I don't, I may not have as many opportunities to, in the, in like, my world is somewhat multicultural, but for the most part, it's pretty white, you know, and so the, the places where I am doesn't necessarily, it lends to that. I'm not putting myself in situations a lot of the time, and, like, I'm going to marches, I'm going to things, but, you know, there's, there's always more you can do. So. For sure. For, my, for me, that is not enough to qualify as a white ally. That's what I mean in terms yeah. of definitions, because everybody's going to have definitions. That's not enough. Uh, does anybody here at this table, since you all identified as white, anybody here truthfully say that I'm not racist? There's never a time that I do anything that supports white supremacy racism? No, clearly as a white person, I can afford to pretend as if I don't have race, as I, you know... Debbie Irving's book, Waking Up White, which I gave to my four siblings and engaged with them in, you know, talking about this person who grew up north of Boston as I did. Anyway, Boston being as racist a city as you'll find in the north, in my judgment. Anyway. I interviewed Debbie Irving. She's an admitted racist. I'm going to go right to the point because I interviewed her uh, in my view, it would be substantially more logical, substantially more helpful, as opposed to having lots of white people identifying as white allies where maybe they've done something, maybe they haven't, uh, to say that I'm a white ally. It would be substantially more helpful and more accurate to just say, you should think that I'm a racist. You should just suspect 
then I'm a racist until this problem has been solved or until proven otherwise. That is substantially more logical, substantially more based in truth than just having white people sent. That we have 45% of white allies and then 55% of uh, racist skeptics, I think, is the paradigm. That just is not logical, it's not reasonable, and it's why this, in, in my view, it's a major part of why this problem continues, having inaccurate paradigms presented in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. If it doesn't, just let me know. If it doesn't make sense, if I'm saying something... I feel, I feel like, like I'm here. I'm trying to do the work. And so I feel like I'm almost being attacked for even being here. You know, attacked how? Not attacked, but like, um, like, like I feel like I'm trying to do, do my part, but that's why I'm here. Shopping, and I'm in the party. 
difference between how they treated her and how I brought up in a home with her. So the question is, so the question is telling that story, right? We're, we're talking about all this. Are you saying when you tell that to somebody who doesn't raise them as real, they hear you in a different way? Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. What else? What else works? Um, just listening while keeping calm. And I want to add is that starting to find the green place, anything that they said, anything that you can find and agree to and say yes. Like that part of your, what you just said, yes. I, I, I really sounds right. So do you, do you have an example, do you have an example of that? Do you think of anybody have an example that when you did that and it, it created a different feeling in that moment? Because you, you seem like you're passionate about the fact that that's true. And I don't question that, that you, you are exactly correct. So I think, um, thinking of uh, some family members in the South, and um, trying to find a place where you can say, yeah, that sounds hard to, to, to be with. Um, so it has to be a little bit more like not a really singular comment, but maybe a more like, this happens, or uh, more, a more of a conversation, I guess, but that's my example. It's like trying to listen and be like, I see how that's hard for you, and then ask the question. Gotcha. Okay, go on. Kind of building off of what she was saying, I was, um, came at it from the direction of validating the feelings of the person, uh, especially anxieties and fears, even if you don't agree with the premise behind it, but acknowledging that, you know, we have. So, so can you, just, okay, guys, so, so can you give, what's an illustration of that around the racial issue? So, someone uh, I know recently had a conversation with, and they were uncomfortable displaying, uh, uncomfortable displaying support for Black Lives Matter because they said, well, I saw, you know, someone on TV rioting or, you know, looting or whatever. And acknowledging, yes, we don't condone violence. You know, like connecting with that feeling, that fear that someone's going to think that you're a violent person if you support something. And acknowledging that sort of fear and uncomfortableness around you. Oh, so, so just to be clear, so you so in the conversation, was this you in the conversation? So you would you acknowledge their feeling. You say you still carved out a disagreement with their position with their premise? Yes. So so give me what might you say what did you say in that like that's why I understand you understand what you're talking about. How how might you how do you do that? I have to think right. Okay. All right. All right. In a similar vein, I have an example kind of in that uh, same category uh, where I was talking with my uncle about uh, Islamic extremism and whatnot, um, and I validated his feelings of fear and of, you know, this uh, particular sense of patriotism without uh, supporting his particular tendencies or, you know, shutting an entire group of people or religious organization down. I got it. So, you, so I asked that. That's really helpful. So, so you, you said, I get how something like, yeah, I see how you do I, I think that's something scary. Um, and then kind of, kind of, sorry. Did you say that that shifted, like you're doing that shifted the vibe between? Right, because we came to a common understanding about something. I acknowledge that patriotism is good. Uh, and without saying patriotism means hating Muslims or something like that. And so we got to the point where we agreed that patriotism is a thing that we can have, and then find an attack as to what that means. Right. Or how we, how we express it. 
No, that's, that's really that's really good. And especially good on that one is because of side comment from David. I think a, a lot of people who are on the left have trouble acknowledging that there can be a form of patriotism that we agree with. If we're talking about somebody who, who holds patriotism differently, then we don't want to do what you just did. But of course, we can, which is a different but as a general matter, we can do that. So that's really, I, I got to think for that. Um, deep listening by using, I hear you saying type statement. So if someone will say something, and then try and regurgitate that back to them before responding with your own thoughts. Like, I hear you saying that you feel scared, or I hear you saying that, uh, that this is a problem. And then uh, I often have found that my father just helps because it allows him to refine his position. Uh-huh. So he'll hear, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Okay, what are you saying? Um, uh-huh. And then it allows me to kind of probe him more deeply to then really address the thing that's going on rather than the thing that I might think. So, okay, so, so that's, a, that's a good thing in general. You can, can you tell a story about what we had around some racial issues, some race conversations? Yeah, I tried to. We were um, camping and talking about. Um, uh, we, we were I as well, and the welfare used to be an internment camp for the Japanese Americans. And I was trying to explain to him the, the, the problem with that, and uh, and he began to start talking about, oh man, I just would I miss the old days about when uh, we could just leave our doors unlocked all the time and. And I, I said, I, I hear you saying that you're, you're sort of, you missed these these days when you were a kid and you felt like everything was safe. Is that right? Yeah, it was. And then I said to him, well, it couldn't be that that was only true for you. No. You know, it couldn't be that that was only true for you in this place and that that's not a universal American experience. Um, so. Okay, and how, how did you appear now? Again, we're not looking for transformation moment where, like, heaven's opened up, right? <laughs> <laughs> how did he, tell me how, how he respond to that, your meeting him now? Uh, he was present, and I think that that was, like, a big win, because a lot of times it's just sort of, like, frustration and law. I can't talk about anything. Yeah. Go clean your room or whatever that is. <laughs> uh-huh. So, I think vulnerability about my own blind spots and so coming from that place to
was making really broad statements about all sorts of folks, um, including marginalizations that I identify with. And um, rather than keeping it really broad in communities, I said, well, I am such and such. And by saying, you know, all these people are such and such, you're, you're telling me that I am this, this, and this. Is that what you want to be telling me? And backpedal real quick. You know, uh-huh. um, but it made him see the situation a little bit differently. Like then he had a personal connection to a group that he had been othering, mm-hmm. and just, we connected in a different way in that conversation than we had been for many years, keeping it really broad. And, so, so was this? So I got you. Was, uh, I don't know how to verify racial. Was this a race? It was uh, gender and sexuality. It wasn't wasn't race yet. Okay. We got to race so how? Was, okay. So, this, so, this, so the question. So let's put that a little bit. How how might you apply the same lesson if you a white person or another white person? How would you apply that same thing? Uh, his best friend is Asian American and was in the room with us. And then uh, his best friend and I said, well. You've also said these things about people of color. Do you want to turn to your best friend and say that to his face? And it was a very nice. It was a long conversation. Yeah. Um, and then we warmed up to that. And he hadn't connected making these statements about race or about gender or about sexuality to the people that he was closest with, despite it wasn't the connection wasn't there until this very long conversation. Um, yeah, and, and we just got very direct, but not angry. Right. And said, "Hey, when you're saying so and so, it wasn't can't drive, but I can't remember what exactly right. it was. So some, yeah, some, some kind of a racist statement. Um, you're saying that your friend." can't do that if you're helping everyone together like that. Uh, trying to avoid the exception right. to the rule right. <laughs> can but just tying it to someone's uh, personal life. Um, I think touching back on the story, which has come up, making them really relevant to their day-to-day experiences. Gotcha. Thank you so much. Alright. Well, I love this part of it. And the reason I love it is because um, it actually uh, inevitably the indigenous white wisdom about what works in the world resonates with the method that I'm going to talk about. Like, like what y'all said is um, is valuable and unique and common at the same time. Right? So, uh, so thank y'all so much for that. Okay, so before I. Uh, lay out the method that I'm going to suggest. I want to play for y'all a couple of videos that are from that are about these kind of conversations. So I usually end the next next video, so we'll see if this works on the mode.
necessarily to help us be factually accurate. So we often respond better to social and tribal dynamics than to intellectual dynamics. For example, if someone's tribe believes that Obama is a secret Muslim born in Kenya, that person probably thinks that hard proof of his U.S. birth certificate is That conclusion is neither rational nor accurate. But from a tribal perspective, it makes sense. It's safe to agree with your tribe and stay united ideologically, even if you're wrong about the facts, than to disagree and isolate yourself. Another part of the problem is that our brain is constantly protecting our worldview and sense of identity. So when our worldview is challenged, that same part of the brain that processes physical danger gets activated. This is why people sometimes react so aggressively to information that proves them wrong. And this is why it's often so hard to have an intelligent political debate. Several studies have also shown that there is a backfire effect that happens when people encounter facts that contradict their current beliefs. They actually become contradicts with their original ideas. So fighting ignorance with facts is like fighting a grease fire with water. It seems like it should work, but it actually just makes the whole thing worse. Lastly, there's the problem of lack of empathy. Several studies have found that when humans are divided into groups of any kind, we instinctively become less empathetic to members of other groups. That means that for survival sake, we might instinctively empathize less with other races, other nationalities, and even other sports teams. This instinctive dehumanization of other groups is what makes things like slavery and genocide possible in our society. So, what can you do? If you want someone to consider factual information that clashes with their beliefs, first you have to prevent your brain from seeing you as a personal threat. So, look for ways to identify the person as part of your tribe and you as part of theirs. Hey, we're part of the same family. Hey, we're both parents. Hey, we both still play Pokemon Go. Whatever. Anything that communicates that you're part of the same tribe. That's the first step. Second, consider the possibility that you may be wrong. Maybe the facts are not on your side, in which case admitting it will help you model to the other person that it's okay to be wrong. I understand that none of this is easy or simple, but if we want to continue to function as a stable society, we have to learn to get past our own natural biases. Only when that happens, we'll be able to move forward towards a better future. Yes. More for you. Cultural scientist at Stanford tells Fox that telling people they're racist, sexist, and xenophobic is going to get you exactly nowhere. Social psychology tells us persuasion happens one of two ways centrally and peripherally. The central route persuasion uses reasoned arguments, getting someone to think deeply about an issue. If they're paying attention and they have something at stake, you just might persuade them. The peripheral route is less ideal. It speaks reason and relies on superficial cues. For example, it might make appeals to popularity and more But shaping someone, telling them they're racist, sexist, or bigoted, falls into neither of these categories. It's not providing them with a reason for argument, and it doesn't appeal to them on an emotional level. In fact, shaping someone is more likely to give them a shift about formulating the questions of you and your fears, leaving you worse off than you were At best, shaping leaves bad ideas in the shadows where they can't be challenged, and where proponents of those bad ideas can't be persuaded. Shapes the method, not a bad 
The way to connect is not unlike some of the things I was saying. What you want to do is to offer some personal experience yourself that connects with a piece of what they said. Something embedded within it. So, for example, I wish those people would stop protesting. Everybody knows if you just act right, the cops will treat you fairly. Is there anything within that statement, anything embedded within that statement, that you, as a good white ally, could sign up for anything embedded within that concept? Uh-huh. I like to see both that stop Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Here's what's embedded within that statement. All cops are not bad. That's embedded within their belief. Embedded within their belief is what you do in an encounter with a cop has some impact on the cop. Either make it more or less nervous. We believe that. That's embedded within that belief. Those people come and create their own economic problems. Everybody knows that if you just, if you, if, 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 if I'm here in America, is there anything embedded within that that you, that you can sign up for? How about hard work does matter? We probably all know people, I mean, I saw all of y'all are, y'all all know people who have been not hard working in their lives or that's showing up now, right? Or um, embedded within that statement is hard work sometimes pays off, and not working hard sometimes shows up. Right? The statement that we're going to be dealing with today, there's virtually nobody is racist anymore. Embedded within that, something you sign up for with might be there is less explicit bigotry now than there was in some previous time. Is embedded within that. So the connect story that you are going to offer is giving a personal experience that illustrates you can sign up for whatever piece of that that you can sign up for. You're connected with them. You're in the same tribe, right? You're connected to establishing a connection. Then, as we reflect, ask, connect, expand. Then you tell another personal experience that illustrates the fact that racism is a real issue. And we need to think about it. That might be your story, it might be a secondhand story. But the point is, it's a personal experience that expands their, that tries to expand their view. So what have you done? You've shifted the conversation from a battle of opinions to personal experience sharing and start with the other person. Okay, I'm gonna, let, me, let me offer another one. Okay, let me, let me offer another one that puts it in the direction. It kind of goes back to what somebody said. Maybe a couple of things could be true simultaneously. That's what you're trying to get to, as opposed to you're wrong, I'm right. Right? So that's the core of the race method. So to do that, what you need to do is to prepare your anecdote. Right? You need to think of them in advance. So, part of what we're going to do later on is to give you an opportunity to do some reflection, reflect harder, 
Well, you can prepare a connect story, and you can prepare an expand story. And the goal is to be familiar with the story, the anecdote, that you can tell in 45 seconds, and you can tell it in three minutes. Right? So the, the, over time, your tool will sharpen. That's why it's called the White Ally Toolkit. Right? So, and, and the idea is, is that if everyone knows statements, there are many things you hear. Over time, you've developed your anecdotes for the people color puzzle economic problem, for the people shouldn't protest the police, they're going to be experiment, for the racism is over now, etc., etc., etc. It's a personal practice, a lifelong practice, because for, for the foreseeable future, you'll be dealing with messed up comments by Chase and Skyler and Emma, and you put your white name here. You will hear that, right? So the point is that you have to get ready to respond to that with a tool. So we'll be dealing with one of those today. Okay. That's the core method. Okay. Critical thing, the things that make it hard to do it, not knowing you're listening blockages. So, um, here is where I need a little help from the volunteers, George Kerry, etc. So it's going to come around that didn't make the package are some listening tips. I'll take one so I can know what I'm talking about. So, we're not going to go over this long. This is more for your reflection. Here is the issue everybody has listening blockages and the things you can do to counteract that. Right, so, for example, some people find that the way to become a better listener is to look at the people in the eye, because that is helpful to them to make you look at that listener. Some people say, don't look in the eye, look at their lips. Your eyes turn off, look at their lips. Some people say, the way to make people look at a listener is I imagine that there is glue on, on my lips, because it's super glue on my lips so I can't talk. Some people say, I actually put the, the my tongue, my mouth. Because you can't talk when you're you get a product trying to move your mouth, right? So the point is to come up with whatever is useful to you. Some people say what you do is to imagine them as a vulnerable baby, right? Imagine that, and that helps them become a better listener. Or I focus on the patience I want them to show me, and that helps me become a better listener. So on this sheet, not going over it, is some examples of the kinds of tips that you might choose from as you say, okay, how can I become a better listener? And remember that reflection moment? If you figure out what your what, what the key was that you are, you thought about it, okay, okay, I need to remember it, look at the point, because that helps you stay more sensitive, or whatever that is for you. Right? So that's what that she is, I might look at that uh, in your own private reflection. Now, the next thing I want to do is have a whole conversation, a little interaction actually, about the conservative versus liberal uh, dynamic. So, we're actually going to do something new in this workshop today, so volunteer needs a little bit of help. So, one of the things that is true and is underappreciated is that um, there are some general 
differences between conservatives and liberals that are not true in every case, but true in many cases, and that those differences often affect how we view coming and accountability across that line. Here's what I'm asking you to do. So, take out your, take your pen. You have a, you have a separate sheet. First thing I'm going to do is step one is to do yourself on these five scales. Just put your initial where you are on those continuum. Okay? Don't overthink it. We're doing this in one minute. Okay? Just put your, put your letter. Sure. Sure. Okay. Put the letter applies to you in that one. Where where you are on that continuum? Oh, he's continuing. Just put your this is get top of mind. Pass those out now, but just put 
with a stacker chain. Okay. Um, so this is the first one of this exercise, so be gentle with me. What did you notice? Did you notice any? How many people noticed that Shepard was um, more to the right on at least four of the scales? Okay. All right. How about the, uh, okay, guys? How about the three of the scales? So the big numbers are four. You got it. Okay. Um, so uh, just to be clear, how many people? Uh, they were more to the right on at least uh, two of the scales. Okay. So this is this is well, here's what this illustrates. Um, there's there's one of the services in which we as and I'll say back here is a liberal, um, which most of us disagree with. But part of what we have to understand is that conservatism is also an orientation toward the world. And that's when you see those other things in there, some of them not approved, right? The whole messy, neat, liking, uh, liking difference versus liking similarity. So part of what we have to figure out is as we engage more conservatives, particularly engaging about racial issues, how do we structure that engagement so we're not ultimately trying to attack their whole worldview or way of being? Right? How do we stay focused enough on the thing that we're trying to deal with and not make them feel like their overall way of being is under assault? Right? That, that's part of our challenge if we're trying to be influential on racism. <laughs> Any top of line reflections from doing this worksheet is you saw yourself, you might have one or two people. Anything come to mind from doing that, from seeing yourself versus other people? Or for that matter, seeing the bias of question. How about uh, I was really surprised to see the messy versus neat question there. I never considered how that might relate to the way people view social institutions or Right. No, it's, it's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. Okay, so there's a sheet, this is a, another sheet that's handed out that was, uh, that, at the top, well, put it on the back of it, I think it was handed out on the stack, handed around the table. Here's, here's what I'll explain. The people who study moral frameworks, and people who study uh, cognition, have found that there are some general differences between conservatives and liberals that we need to think about more effectively. So they're reflected in those scales. Um, but they're bigger than that too. So, um, one way of thinking about those differences from a moral standpoint have to do with the moral frame. So you should see a table, turn to the side of the paper that has two tables on it, and look at the bottom table. Here's, here's an important thing that we need to understand. Um, I think this, is, this is again a collective wisdom to study moral frames. Human beings tend to have five moral frames. They look at morality in five dimensions. There's one dimension I don't understand that much, but I understand the other four. So one of them has to do with uh, caring. How much are we caring for other people? The second one is how fair is our setting? How fair is it? The third one is what's the degree to which we are sufficiently loyal to our group, our best defined? The fourth one is, what's the degree to which we are um, submitting according to authority? 
And what I don't understand is what is what's the degree to which we're approaching our lives with sufficient focus on purity. I don't understand that one as much. Forgive me, I don't, I don't understand it completely. But the other four I kind of get. So here's the finding. People who are liberals have the first two things, fairy, fairness, and caring, turned up to 11, they might say it's final time. It's turned all the way up. That is what liberals care about. And they have, as a general matter, much less concern for the other three. Right? But people who are conservative tend to, if it's an equalizer, all their levels are about the same. Right? So part of what happens in our very first political dynamic is that if you demonstrate yourself to only care about caring and fairness, then the most hardcore is concerned you're just, you're just another green tar. Right? There's, a, there's a whole rhetoric that's been developed around that, and you are signaling that you are not them. So part of what is the challenge is to try to reduce barriers as we try to connect with people who are different than us. And that might mean that we do some signaling, maybe manipulatively, around the other thing. So for example, a patriotism issue, right? The way that a liberal defines patriotism, we have a whole other conversation about that, um, is different than conservative, but we often don't even acknowledge it. Right? We don't even throw any, we don't signal that I care about it at all. No, you, you talked about that, right? So, part of what that does is to signal to somebody who's conservative, this person has some regard for the motion authority, even if you mean something different. So, part of the challenge is we're trying to be strategic in our communications is to be ourselves, but also talk to the person that we're not just coming from our perspective. Often make arguments and make points based on where we're coming from, but not recognizing they could be coming from a different place. So we will argue for a future that is racially equitable because won't it be great that so many cultures will flower and there'll be more different parts of the cities and places to go and restaurants and all this culture? And you're going to talk to somebody who doesn't appreciate diversity generally, right? So that argument, you might not want to break up that argument, right? So that the, the reason we're spending a little bit of time trying to understand this is so our communications can be more strategic. I'll also invite you to look at whatever you said on the bias question. A lot of us liberals have biases against the conservative, and we got to look at what's the degree which that bias comes out as we're trying to move them. We just got to think about that. Okay. Um, did that. Did that one. Boom. Okay. A couple more points. My personal belief is that if we're going to move forward on racism, people like us progressives need to envision, even if we haven't seen it, we need to envision that there could be an anti-racist conservatism. You know, for those of us who were so designed might remember Jack Kemp, like the guy from Buffalo, as he, he might epitomize the sad, unicorn nature of big anti-racism. But we need to envision that that is possible. Because then we can focus on uh, getting people out of denial about racism. And I'm not trying to make a time of service. It doesn't mean I'm not organizing. Just means that when I'm interacting with this person, 
I'm not trying to make him not a very important concern. I'm just trying to get them out of denial about racism. I'm going to let them worry about creating a anti-racist conservative. I have, in fact, think progressives will need to be involved in that, to hold people accountable for that. But I'm just saying, my perspective is that you will do much better in opposing people if you envision an anti-racist conservatism, anti-racist conservatism, even if you haven't seen it. It's important to envision that. I just, yeah, uh-huh. Okay, well, I'll, 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 I'll try it this way. Part of what happened through the Southern strategy of Richard Nixon is that conservatism began to be associated with denying the rights and the possibilities for people of color. If you look at like the Civil Rights Act, you have all those Republicans who voted for that. But Richard Nixon recognized that there's enough grievance among white folk that he would be better off if he positioned conservatism as something that was essentially in black. So, thus you have the stripping away of the possibility of Republicans over time, conservatives, thinking that racism is a real problem. So what you get now, and the whole bunch of people who, um, there's, no, there's no reason to think that, even though I'm, I'm in favor of uh, less regulation by government, I'm in favor of more guns in society, you think a certain thing, that I have to be in denial of racism to, to favor those things. The, the, what any racist conservative would be about is, yeah, there's, there's an imperfection in our society how we treat each other, and we're going to use conservative market-based means to try to address it. We're going to try to avoid government-based means. But I, can, I don't have to be in denial about the reality that there's some unfairness in our society not only interpersonally, but it, it accumulates institutionally. A conservative can, I, I would choose to believe that that is possible. That's the work that has to be done. And I would, I would suggest that we have to be in a stance of supporting that work as opposed to not imagining it's possible. All right. Um, I put this one already, the university thing. Okay. We're going to shift gears. People love this next part. This is about you. So, <laughs> so the uh, take out the self-centered brain. So let me just walk you through it quickly. Here's what this is about. There's five racial problematic statements at the top. This, this asks you to assess what you do when these things are said in your presence. And it asks you to assess that on two different dimensions. One dimension is what happens for you internally. What is the degree to which the frequency of which you have a visceral reaction, sadness, frustration, anger, shame? What's the degree of which, what's the frequency of which you have a visceral reaction when you hear those things? Having a reaction inside is a different question than whether you show it or whether you express it. What's the degree of which you have a visceral reaction when, when something like that is said? And how often does that happen? The second dimension that I ask you to assess is how frequently do you actually engage that or commit to engaging it as you follow through, right? So you, you engage in the moment, most likely, but if you, if when you hear that, you know it, and the next step is the person, you 
engage it, that still counts as engaging it. But the question is, how frequently do you engage that having worked that? So what is, what is your internal response? What is your behavioral response? It looks for your frequency, there's a score for each, yes, and then you add them together, yes, there was math, and the while I took it, first shot, it's very simple math, it's just addition. So you're going to assess yourself, put a score down, add the scores, and you will be in a, uh, you will be in a tight. You're not going to take long for this, it shouldn't take that long. Take about 90 seconds to do this. How do you respond internally and people have uh, gotten their type yet? Okay. So here's what's going to happen next. Um, you're going to grab your keypad in a minute, and I'm going to have you tell me what type you are, and you're going to see the distribution uh, on the screen. Then, I'm going to explain each of the types briefly. And while I'm explaining it, the wonderful volunteers are going to be Putting table tests for the types because after I finish explaining, we're going to move. You're going to pack, you're going to grab your stuff, grab your safety bag, grab your stuff, and move to a different table and talk to have a conversation that I'll give some instructions about with people of your similar type. So that's the process of all that happens. Okay. So uh, now I'm going to keep that. Thank you. 
Is it all in? All right, what we got? This 
racism, racism, racism can't upset your habits and your presence. And they are very centered. Ooh, racism has happened to me. I am very cold, but I don't want to engage it. No, I have people who stand active, right? They're active, but they're also very zen and very calm. Now, uh, the reason I call those people tycoons because they're undercover spies in training. They're like spies. Like when a spy notices that they're an enemy, they don't get upset about it, but they engage situations to learn more about it. We're going to uh, undercover spies in training. What does that happen? Now, I am still trying to understand better type A. Type A, they're not particularly viscerally moved. They don't tend to engage it, but they came to a white ally meeting. <laughs> I'm trying to figure these people out. So I call those people the analysts. They're like in the, in the army, they're the analysts. They're not engaged in the fight, they're pretty, they're, they're pretty, um, they're looking at they care about it, but they're not engaged the same way some other groups are. So, um, I'm, still, I'm still trying to figure out those folks, and I'm glad you're here. And so let me tell you how those people are going to help you figure it out and how everybody's going to help you find this whole method. When you get to the table, you're going to get, you're going to be uh, colored cards. Everybody should take a white card and a card of color. And, uh, yes, that was a joke. So the, um, <laughs> so, well, you can see this guy, you can see the rest of the list here. Okay. On the white card, you know, the first thing you do is just write down a string of your type. What's a string? Right, just, you know, a word or short phrase. Try to make it really pithy and short. Because what I want to do is I'm going to collect these from various meetings and, and then descriptive the type is something that y'all said about yourself. On the card of color, write down a weakness of your type. Word or short phrase. Now, I'm not going to a word or short phrase. Label the cards of the type you are so when I collect them, I don't get confused. Okay? Now, Type the type A folks, please do a few of these cards because I need to understand y'all more. Right? When you get to the table, you will see a long form description. And in your folder already, there are short form descriptions. There's one sheet that has a short description. I hope you see a long form description. That is for your reflection. I will, unless you are a super fast speed reader, I would not read that because we need to have a conversation that moves forward. That's for your reflection. But feel free to read it if you want to be reading now. Okay. So we're going to have, after everybody just writes down a word on each type, we're going to move around the table. But just have a conversation about the strengths of this type and what you perceive as the both edges of your type. Okay? Um, again, the past week is going to be the long form description. When we, then we're going to do a report out and we'll hear from the different groups. I have a few comments about the group next group. I want to hear what y'all have to say. And then we're going to vote on the accuracy of the scripture. We vote on the accuracy of the short form or the long form. I'm trying to refine this process and make sure I'm getting better and better all the time. So, the wonderful volunteers have been laid on the table. So, here's the task. We're going to um, move to a different table. Take your same keypad. It's your keypad until you leave it. And go to the table of your type. You see the fire that you're using. 
Um, tell the truth. I don't think a lot of the information that's been presented here is uh, accurate. Uh, I think you know, the conclusion that I've come to is that people classified as white are not going to voluntarily stop practicing racism. If that's true, that should be the number one thing that people are talking about. If, you're, if people here are saying that they've been talking to some of their white friends for 20 years and they're still in denial about racism, to me that evidence is someone who is dedicated to racism. They're not going to stop practicing racism. If that's the bulk of white people, then that should just be said. If white people are committed to racism. If this problem's going to be solved, then that's going to have to be acknowledged. White people are not going to stop this voluntarily. They're going to have to be stopped from practicing racism, if that's true. Well, that's a whole different conversation than what they're talking about here. Here, they're taking the premise that white people could somehow be stopped from practicing racism. And I think that's nonsense. Just from everything I've heard you today, that's absolute nonsense. Have you, have you heard any evidence that, based on what you've heard from here today, that white people, you could say something to them and a substantial number of them would stop practicing racism? Smart girl. <laughs> where are the analysts at? A small group. Did anybody see where the analyst table is? Okay, so where is that group at? Okay. I'm not a fan, I'm an analyst, but they said they're putting this all together because they're so few of us. There are so few of us. Oh, is this not where the analysts so there, There's enough people to separate out the, the analysts um, from the Zens. Okay. Um, and so, um, Terry, where's, where's this? So, we're going to make it. Okay. okay. Right on. <laughs> coming? I guess yes. That way I can keep my computer.
what are we supposed to be doing? to be rebellious since it's just us here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, it's strength of yours. <laughs> Are we even considered like actors? Yeah. Like, I'm really confused. I felt that, like, I think the question, it didn't specify if it was a black non-white person or a white person mm -hmm. who was making the statement that would have a huge impact That's on whether I, I said anything or not if it was a non-white person I probably wouldn't say anything or just depending on the setting whether I say anything or not just mm -hmm. another confused victim keep it moving yeah. um, um, I'm a weakness yeah I'm a victim of this as a white supremacy and sure. I don't really have any strength <laughs> I think uh, yeah that's that would be the primary weakness mm -hmm. uh, regardless of what you do in that situation. I hope this hasn't been a waste of your Saturday morning uh, where you could have slept in or done something. No, no, actually it's like the one weekend like I have off, like my clients out of town or whatever, so you messaged me yesterday and I was like, I was out, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna, this sounds totally like gonna keep me on track, you know, so I just came. I was planning to catch the bus, but I just, there's a lot of parties out here. Oh, right. Um, so I just got a little unprepared, but now that I'm here, I'm like, Did you have to pay to get in? I'm sorry? Did you have to pay to get in? Yeah. Did you? No. I, uh, emailed, uh, it's my fault. I should have said that. I emailed her yesterday because mm -hmm. Alyssa told me about this. She emailed, I don't know if she emailed, uh, Mr. King or someone else, but it was a long racist one around where they were giving her a lot of excuses because mm -hmm. she was trying to get a free ticket. Mm -hmm. And so I just emailed like when I was standing behind me. I emailed her directly and I was like, I'm a black male, I want to attend, but I don't want to pay twenty dollars. She's like, yeah, just come in and ask for me and it's like a We should try to get your twenty dollars back. Like, <laughs> yeah, what a travesty. What a travesty. She was like, oh, you can just do whatever, and then she, like, handed me the thing to type it in, and I was like, yeah, she's pretty funny, like, I'm a full-time student, and, oh, yeah, you have way better things to use to this nonsense. I told the white people at uh, my first group that I thought this was nonsense at the very beginning, mm -hmm. and the white people are not going to stop practicing racism. I have my fifth report the whole time, uh, that the white people are not going to stop practicing racism, they can have a definition of racism, mm -hmm. like just basic things. And she's with her daughter. She, she's got the new video on. Her daughter's just sitting down right now. Okay, I see. Uh, she's saying, like, uh, I'm here. I brought my daughter here. I'm trying to And I said, attack. Really? How have you been attacked? And she said, oh, I'm uh, not attacked. But, uh, you know. Like we're here, I feel like we're not even getting credit for being this guy. Uh, like you know, when her daughter came to me right after the switch, and she said, "So since you don't think any of this is worthwhile, what do you think we should be doing?" And I said, "Just tell the truth. If white people aren't going to start practicing racism, just say that. Like then we can, you know, come up with better strategies that are more in line with the truth." 
been lying and saying that, oh yeah, if you do this and have these conversations, you'll eventually convince white people to stop doing this. And I said, have you heard any evidence here? Because I could be wrong, but have you heard any evidence presented this morning that white people are going to stop practicing racism? And she said, no. Smart, she thinks she's like 16. Tell the truth. Just tell the truth.
I didn't even expect that, but they immediately like, yeah, that's nonsense. I think I don't think that's correct either. Like, Mm -hmm. The music like, part that they were doing before. Oh yeah, they were. I was supposed to get yeah, there. Was loud. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mentioned that in the group. I told them like I thought this was supposed to be a serious conversation. Like the guy got beat with a baseball bat. Did you see that a couple days ago? Like you're like people are dying about this, and y'all are playing or whatever song. Maybe it might be that they do a little bit of posture first and then they get to the talking part, but it's supposed to be uh, facilitated by a black female. And it's supposed to be about somehow incorporating some aspect of yoga into how they go about ending racism. Uh, it says, like, explicitly that if you know not a white person will be denied. If you want to attend, you don't have to pay. If you don't have money, you don't want to pay, you can attend. That's another one that I want to go to. Um, hopefully, for the whole, however, like, it's like four weeks or six weeks on Saturday or something. But I'll send you the. Yeah, is it like in the morning or? I think it's like in the afternoon. Early afternoon. I don't think it's as early as this. I think it's like in 12. This wasn't too early though, you know? Yeah. It's like pretty good. Like, especially getting here. 
for sure. But no, I heard it on your broadcast that you started to Okay, um, 
the cavalry, the first responders. She goes just like that. Okay, what is y'all talking about? I talked about that we have a lot of emotional response to the situation, but we continue to be impulsive. And, but we had different experiences around that as well. As we learned about uniform group, which I always think is interesting. Whereas I got cavalry and I was like, awesome. But I saw <laughs> and, um, other people didn't have that thing, for example, and I thought that was just interesting. What was the other thing also? What was the different thing? Uh, like, it's too uh, maybe violent or reactionary or something like that. And I'm very glad, as a, well, my feeling as a white person is that I'm just glad I want to respond. Right. But I think that's been, that's progress for me in my, you know, whatever. I try to figure out how many years, maybe 15 years, whereas I used to be very vetted, the right answer, um, and some notion that I would actually get the right answer, too. Right. So I don't have that so much, but I want to be better still. Right, so the question, I got that, so thank you for that. Any other comments for? So, oh, here you go. Speaking to that uh, reaction to get the story about that, um, I had read the, you know, the things ahead of time and thought to myself, oh, I'm probably in the service. The contextual context is everything. And then the scores came out, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to read. I, I was a little frustrated because I think the context is everything. That decides what I should act. And realizing that maybe I jumped in more than I realized is a good reaction. Yeah. So one of the things, I think that the, the, what I said about what the uh, first responders what the Ms. Morris can do is not unlike the suggestion of cap, which is to, if, if, if y'all's impulse and consistency is to jump in with or without a good plan, I would suggest you experiment with what if I don't do that the next time? What if I take a different approach? I try to mobilize some curiosity. I try to, try to say, in this, not every time in the future, just the next one, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to try to be a spy as opposed to a member of the cabinet. Right? You're surrounded, if, you, if you're a firefighter and you use one fire, you gotta go fight it. But if you're surrounded by fire, you gotta stop and say, figure out what's going on with these fires. You might take a different kind of approach. So <laughs> I, would, I would encourage that you to experiment with yourself in that way uh, as people who. The impulse is great, that's fantastic. And I would just encourage a slightly more attached attitude to say, maybe the next time I'll do something different. <laughs> we got a whole bunch of. <laughs> As the cavalry, you saying that is causing me anxiety because I would not be able, it would cause me more anxiety to not jump in than, than jumping in, even without Because I have to, I have to stand up, I have to say something, I have to. Right, but I can't say nothing, I'm just saying you say something that might, at least the next time, not even not, not the future, definitely, not forever, just the next time, maybe try. What if I engage the situation in a different way and see what happens? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was just curious because like, I feel like I definitely used to be more of a scout and I've only just started working my way to actually saying something, but I don't feel like when I say something, it's ever very effective, or it's, I don't even engage for very long. It's like, I, I feel like I'm still at the like, edge or something. I think the internal feeling like is still there, but I only say something really passing or really like, uh, like a short sentence, and oftentimes that's because like, we're cutting 
know, so like you're, you're only saying something to your coworker as you go and have to do something else. So I think I'm just curious about like engaging more effectively in those like small things, I guess. Or like yeah. not necessarily going back to not doing anything. Yeah. So one of the things that you'll uh, find in your packing you know, for now is there's a continual responses thing. So there's a, I, I, what I try to do is to summarize and give you a thing of what to say when it's not a dialogue moment. Because sometimes it's not a dialogue moment, but you, want to, you don't want to run from a situation, something that's been said is problematic. And if you notice there's a scale, if you look at the statements, they go from kind of most, least intense to most intense. Listen. Did you say that again? Because I'm not sure I really heard you. To, I think I'm going to, HR is going to hear what this conversation, right? So, <laughs> and and this, they all still are within the realm of non-violent communication, but, um, but they, there's, a, there's a range of responses. But yeah, but I think the issue is how do we engage within that moment of dialogue? What do we do with that? All right, the observance. We move forward, John. We're observing. Okay. Uh, no Strength and growth edges. Y'all are very reserved. Come on now. Uh, so, ours were oftentimes related directly to one another. We would take a strength and then we would look at the flip side of that strength and notice the concern that we had. Um, some trends that we saw were that strengths were very much contextualized and we could determine if it was going to be effective to engage. Some of us decided that what mattered most was what the person we would be engaging with, what they were bringing to the table, and others of us thought that it was or prioritized what we were bringing to that conversation. <coughs> two different perspectives, but looking at what's going to make this productive and what would be. Um, and then we were kind of all over the place on the uh, the bad things. <laughs> um, for my own, at least, I've noticed that as good as I am at talking myself into a conversation, I'm also really good at talking myself out. And sometimes that's not always because it's not an effective time for me to have a conversation. Sometimes it's because I'm being chicken or I am having trouble letting go of some of my privilege. Telling yourself a story about it. Right. So, yeah, thank you for that. So, I would just say that the reserve, <laughs> these are people who they say, well, contextual activists, sometimes engage, sometimes don't. What they just look at is they, they have data, their own data point, right? They can review their own experience and say, let me think about three different times where I chose to engage, what was going on with me, and what happened with that, right? And then one of the three times I didn't, you know, what, what was going on with me, and what happened with that. So, you, you, your own experience is so varied that if you are analytical about it, you can maybe learn some lessons about how to find your thinking, as well as how to become more effective. <coughs> I believe that the uh, undercover spies in training work, is that all there? Who is undercover under, under spies in training? For the Zen actor. There you go, Zen, there you go. Let's put all the forward. Yes, what is it? What did you talk about in terms of uh, strength uh, and growth? Uh, so we talked about being able to um, engage strategically and not necessarily out of our own triggering or emotional reactivity. Um, and we talked about possible weakness um, coming off as or even implicitly feeling um, that we are like, morally superior. Right. Yeah. What's, 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 what's
is that these are folks who they search and pretend to engage. They can look directly at the effectiveness question. They can look at all the times that they do that and what really comes of that. You can analyze, you can draw, can analyze that question. That's not the best, the most important thing. But secondly, since y'all have figured out a way to not respond visually but to engage, maybe there's some lessons that y'all can teach to both the, the scouts and the cavalry about staying centered and engaging. The cavalry needs to learn how to stay centered because the scouts need to learn how to engage. So if you think of this as the allied community, maybe some of you, why you also think about more effectiveness is to help the community become more effective by sharing the lessons to of folks. Um, and then we have the group that I understand the most, the analysts. This guy. Right. What did y'all talk about? Um, well, for me, um, for, I don't have any strengths, but my weakness is that I'm a victim of racism, and I'm just here to try and talk honestly about racism um, in front of a majority white crowd. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for coming. That's some of that. For the analyst group, I think uh, the strength being not being visceral. Uh, I think white people say racist things. Or I, I guess even before I get to that, when the gentleman right there, when he said context is everything, when I looked at this, context is huge. There are so many white people that make racist statements in my presence. Even the first table that I was at, a white person said something that I think was racist uh, earlier today. That happens so frequently. I would be exhausted if I had an emotional response, or even if I responded to every one of those statements. So I'm much uh, more careful, much more select about when I say something, uh, particularly depending on the setting. If it's at work, I may say something. I may not say something. I may just write down uh, what was said. I think that that can help you be much more uh, analytical and not as worn down every time somebody makes a racist comment and then also thinking, what am I trying to accomplish? Uh, I looked at some of the statements that these are pretty benign. Even if someone came out and was telling nigger jokes, I might say something. I might not say something. Uh, just depending on what the circumstances are and what do I think I can get accomplished if I do say something. Now, if this is going to be a five-hour conversation that ends with, well, I still think you're a nigger in a good day, well, then maybe I'm going to save my five hours. Exactly. Right. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. All right. So I think overall lesson is, is that we think the evolution of the white ally community or the anti-racist community more broadly, we have to think of the fact that there's a variety of ways that people deal with these situations. Where, and most people are not very effective. And the fact that you point out that you're not very effective, and maybe in some other we talk about who you are, let's listen to the question that, right? But my sense is that a whole bunch of people are not effective all of the time. So, as a community, what we want to do is to support each other in where we are and help everybody move forward, right? And, and appreciate the diversity in, the, in this community is important. All right, so I want you to grab your keypad. Here is where we assess, and we're all getting some feedback on how accurate or whatever good description that we all read, along with the short one, what? How well does the written description describe you? One, nail it. Two, mostly accurate. Three, somewhat accurate. Four, somewhat inaccurate. Five, mostly inaccurate. Six, completely wrong.
So doing okay on the accuracy part. All right. So next. So we'll do a little role play. It's going to mimic what y'all going to do in a minute. So Terry, I need you to come up on the platform with me while your other assistants hand out the this sheet. Okay, so what we're about to do is to, I'm going to, we're going to model a kind of a, using the race method, assuming that uh, I'm the ally. So, <laughs> like my man like my with the shirt on said, look at me like I'm a white person. <laughs> the shirt says that, look at me like I'm a white person. Because I'm, I'm a white ally in this, in this example. Okay. So, now that I'm going just to help, I'm going to show what I'm doing with a little sign during the role play. In case, in case I'll be confused. But basically, here's what's going to happen. Uh, we're going to start the scene with, I'm reopening the conversation based on a statement she made that basically nobody's racist anymore. I'm going to ask her to say, more about that. Then I'm going to really, then I'm really going to ask her to go to an experience that that's based on that comes from that. Then I'm going to say a connect experience, and I'm going to say it expands. Okay. So Terry, a couple of days ago, you made a statement that um, you don't understand how to talk about racism because nobody is racist anymore, and I'm. Now, would you, would you say more of uh, why you said more about your political that? I find it interesting. Well, I look at politics. Obama got elected. Clearly, he's an African-American, and therefore, racism has leveled, is gone. It's leveled the playing field. Okay, now, so that's interesting that we can look at politics. Like that. I guess I was wondering, have you had any personal experiences? That also show you this this issue is really you put it behind us. Like personal experiences you have. Yeah. Well, I can uh, look at my neighborhood that I live in, which used to be in Seattle. They had red lines and they sorted people out, and now everybody in my neighborhood is really multicultural. And like even my next door neighbor is a person of color. And so, do you think that shows that people aren't racist anymore? Right, because we all now have the opportunity to live in the same neighborhoods and go to the good schools and get educated and move up in the world the same way. Wow, okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. It's, um, you know, I have a, I have a friend who, uh, who's black and uh, I've lived for a long time and, you know, he, he's got a sales job and he, he tells me now that when he was first out of college, the level of uh, housing discrimination that he faced, the level, especially when he would go to white parts of the country, it was just horrific. Like he would always show up and then people would arrest him and he knew what that was about. And he now, he's, he, he still is a kind of a uh, transient person, he was a salesperson, and he now says that kind of sometimes it happens a lot less than it used to. So yeah, I know there are some, some indications that it said that things have changed. That's true. Oh, so, oops. <laughs> I asked for more belief than I asked for experience. Uh, I listened. Uh, I just told the next story. 
I'm still going to kind of do this part with you guys. So, so, um, but you know, uh, what is also true, even though my some of that stuff has increased, let me tell you something that I saw happen. So, so I was, um, I was in Massachusetts, and it was Sunday night, and we were on the street, but a few, and I saw these, uh, I saw these uh, black folk, well, you know, walking, you know, no problem, and a car went by, and then this guy just said, you know, nigga, get out of here, just for no reason. Like, I was shocked. They seemed to be, they seemed to not trip out about it. They seemed to look at each other and shook their heads, but, 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 so, it's, but for me to see that, for me to see that people are still doing that, it was kind of shocking to me, so I'm, I'm so, I've never seen that before, so I, I got to think about how must it be for them to have to face the possibility of that. So I'm wondering whether it's possible that there might be less of that problem and that thing still exist and seen. All right, all right. So, so I didn't do a few cards. I need to get a few more Okay. So the objective, those are I think, the cue cards right, but I went a little more on the leaf, I listened authentically, then I asked uh, for, uh, I listened, then I asked for a little uh, experience behind it, I listened, and then I told one story that connected with it that suggests you're not completely wrong, yes there is a change, and yes there's no problem, so it's a story, connect story, then it's a story. Now, your challenge, this might be challenging because part of what people who uh, people who are familiar with a lot of anti-racist rhetoric have trouble doing is admitting that there has been some positive changes over the past decades. Where we are disincentivized and told not to do that because we're told that that's going to be a concession to the forces on the right. Let me just tell you, let me tell you something else. I, I, I used to do this and I heard John Lewis say, the only thing more irritating than white people saying that everything has changed is black people saying that nothing has changed. <laughs> so part of what we have to do is to hold both things together. Things are still really messed up, and they're a lot better than they used to be. Now for this particular issue about the explicit victory, there's legions of data that show that explicit victory has gone down. So it is okay and actually useful for you to call upon experiences that you have seen in your family, in the media, wherever you have, wherever you have seen it, things that happen, things that happen in your neighborhood, to say yes, things are better. If you're trying to talk to a risk of skeptics, that admitting that is going to be important before you tell some other story about how things are still problematic. Both things can be true. So, your task, uh, what's going to go around is a worksheet that basically asks you to, it tries to prompt you to come up with a connect story and come up with an expand story. Okay, so the goal, like it will ask you some questions, the goal is not to answer all of them, you might answer some of them, but the goal of the work 
sheet is to help you generate the guts of a connection oriented expansion. Right? A, a little story has a, has a little setup, it has a key moment, and it has a little takeaway. So it doesn't, it's not super complicated. Second hand stories are okay. First hand is better. Second hand stories are okay. Right? I told the second hand story. Right? My second, I told the second hand story. Um, but you might have a first hand story about how people in your family behave differently. Right? You might have, so I'm not going to describe, describe the story, but the goal is to come up with a connect story that basically it, um, would, would be experienced by a skeptic who believes nobody's racist as, well, this person at least has some, give me some ground on that. There's some experience they have that validates that a little bit. Before you tell another experience, again, it might be a second-hand story, that's trying to say, uh, yes, explicit bigotry is still, is still a little problem. Just to let you know, 40% of white people will say on a certain anonymous telephone survey that people of color are even, either more lazy or less intelligent than white people. So 40%, now they'll tell you that, of course they tell, tell you that, in fact they wouldn't tell me that, but it's still anonymous on the phone. So bigotry is still a problem, right? So the question is, I suspect it's going to be easier for y'all to come up with the expansive way. You need to do that, make a story, but come up with a connection. Because if you're trying to influence somebody, the connection is going to be very important. So what I ask you to do is to look at this worksheet and give you, this is the time when you bring the focus. Because we got to run out of time. Because we want to do this, so I'm going to give you, after you finish this, I'm going to give you the instructions for the role play. So let's first all, try to do the worksheet, we'll give about five minutes to get your anecdotes together. I think so. <laughs> Twice, actually, I think it's two different exercises, mm -hmm. right?
the class, you know, I stopped speaking to other people, like, just as a courtesy, like, oh, hey, this is class. I stopped all of them, like, they start class and be like, speak to the person that's next to you on the mat. I stopped speaking to them, I didn't do that. Like, uh, and I would wear my shirt as my warm-up. I take my shirt off for yoga, but I wear it until we start being active, so that, like, I'm broadcasting to all the people that are there, like, oh, it totally changed everything. I wear my shirt, like, daily, until we get active. They don't speak like it's just like, ah. <laughs> they don't talk to me like, oh, it's good. Yeah, I would love to know what you're teaching. So I guess playing ball with you what? Playing ball with how? Christmas or Christmas Eve? And they're going to like Christmas Eve. Not all the words. She didn't even like you. I'm a white person. She didn't even I was right here. She stayed like on that side of the room. Like she wasn't even like to be central. So when both of us would be just like she was over here. I'm gonna have to raise my hand to say something about that. Like, for understands, like, uh, like, this has been a video, I don't know if it ended up on YouTube or even if they edited it out, but I feel like, yeah, something needs to be said. It's not too much incorrectness said to not get that out. All of this is premised on white people somehow stopping, or at least some of them, stopping practicing racism, and that's just not. And she's standing in all black. It's just a stack of like papers and books. And there's a model. And the people who are doing the model put on glass windows. It's a clear glass that you can't even go paint glass back in the day. The first thing I heard her say, I've never heard before. What about, what about clear is in that glass? And I was like, oh crap. She was just like, what about the female in the green sweater? She's talking to Yeah, that's right. That's the girl I was Take you the is that what you expected? Just like a couple? Oh, pretty much. Yeah. I, did, I mean, that's what I with it being a queen and I couldn't imagine, you know, in terms of, you know, any you know, like, you know, like, you know, wasn't all that like, person running it. Just, I just couldn't imagine. <laughs> no. No. Not that I expected it to be. And you know, he can even like probably spot that everybody's like cavalry and warriors. Like, he just looks like, okay. Yeah. Sparkly, so this is actually like more white people, but like, not white people come to you. We consider them like allies also. We need to be But like, there's always been a definition of racism. We kept throwing it around. That's 
I was, I was going to ask the group before he moved us, like, what, what like, tools did you get that you're going to be able to use that'll have some sort of tangible impact on solving this problem? Like, where would you get this new sheets that you're going to be able to use?
Wars came in. So my little elementary school had been in all black. And then but white kids got blessed into it. And so there was a lot of like they were rolling on the playground and a lot of renamed our school to rename our school Malcolm X. So that was like I just want to make sure that I heard you correctly. Did you say that you've lived in Seattle since 1987? No, I've lived in Seattle since 2007. 2007. I've lived in the Kansas City area for okay. 20 years. What was the reference to 1987? Did you say you had... But I've lived in pretty much all white... I mean, like, very majority white contexts and have not... You have not? Like, wow. personal, like, like oh, okay. personal person. Well, in the time that I've been here for this workshop this morning, a white person has done something that I thought was an act of racism, so for you, uh, that's neither here nor there, but for a white person to tell me that they've lived that long and have not personally seen an act of racism, I find that very hard to believe. Uh, I, I don't think that you're being honest with me. We wish that our real world touched. I'm wanting to be honest. That's a I'm totally. I haven't witnessed it. Your name's a All I can say, I don't think you're being honest with me, Elaine. I Anybody else have a, a connect story that um, was particularly uh, effective for 
Um, for my next story, I just talked about how uh, my boyfriend and I are interracial, and um, he's black and I'm white. And uh, oftentimes when we go out, I think, you know, considering how short a time frame it's been since it was like against the law to marry interracially, there has been progress in that when we go out, we actually have the opposite effect, I think, of sometimes people being like, Nice, which can be weird. Yeah, which I can appreciate because I think people mean well, but um, so I guess that's a way for me to connect with people who have that sentiment of, well, you're right, because when we go out, it's, we have a positive experience. Great. Anybody else? Um, so my next story was talking about how my office, I'm actually in the minority as a white person. Um, and I think for allies, just hearing how hard that is, I think it's easy for us to think, like, yes, but, about any connect story. Like, I know that, like, you know, there's so many systemic racist things in the workplace, and so it's easy to discount that, but I think other people see that as like, oh, racism is over, there are workplaces where white people are a minority, so I think it's important to see it from someone else's shoes who might be of a different viewpoint. Gotcha. Anybody else can be reflective on how they get anything out of doing that exercise? Was it illustrative? Was it useful? I always call it head knots. Somehow, some way can be convinced to not practice white supremacy racism, and I absolutely disagree with that. We're not talking about a problem that's been happening for five days or five weeks, five hundred years. years. It might be longer than that. Who knows? Right. Long, long, long time of talking about this, and white people globally. We're not even just talking about the United States. This is worldwide. 
globally have shown a consistent dedication to terrorizing, dominating everybody in the universe who they say is not white. Therefore, if white people are not going to stop practicing racism, we need to have a very different framework for how we go about talking about this problem. This morning, I have not heard one shred of evidence that doing all of this and the role play and everything else is going to convince white people to voluntarily desist from practicing racism. If that's the case, we should have a very different way of talking about this problem, talking about racism as though white people are going to stop practicing white supremacy on their own. In my view, it's not accurate and it does not lead to a solution. I could be in error. I got you. So, so the issue, I got to think, brother, so the issue is, um, like, I, I know what you said, people have different beliefs about that. I, you know, I'm of the belief that people can be influenced to change, and I'm of the belief that it is, given the nature of the situation, it is not on us to do most of that work. It's on the people in this room. So, you know, you might, I mean, it, 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 is, not, it is not shocking to me that another conscious man of color might have a very different understanding of that. I have to. I think that ultimately, if we think about moving the uh, anti-racist movement forward, we need other people doing workshops that are very different than this, trying to get people like y'all to have a different approach. We need to have foundation universities testing out what happens if you have a thousand people trying this way and a thousand people trying the other way. What really happens? We don't know enough about what really affects what creates change to know whether or not this is going to be better than the other strategy. I, I'm not going to run from the fact that I think that the strategy I'm talking about is grounded in persuasion science, so cognitive research, and nonviolent communication. I'm not going to run from that, but it very well could be that a different approach is more effective. But I know that people have gotten a lot of, a lot of value out of this approach. And it feels to a lot of people who study dialogue, this is more likely to be effective. But I hear you. It might, it might be, you, you could be wrong, I could be wrong. Right? So, my encouragement, a little lesson from that exchange, is that there will be people who will tell you that this approach is not what you want to do. Right? You have to make a decision about how you're going to channel your ally energy. And I would just say that for the most part, of all the things that allies are doing, I check my Twitter with Nambo, they ain't talking to Skyler. They're not talking to people in their own circle. So this is an underinvested area. So the reason I spend time on this is because it thinks it needs to be invested in. You gotta make a decision about where this fits into your ally. You gotta decide that. So then there's how. I'm suggesting we need more people doing this kind of work and doing it in a particular way. Could be we need more people to do it another way. I'm suggesting this way would be more effective. You got to sort that out. All right, we need to close. But of course, we can't close without some more keypad questions. Or grab your keypad. We're going to wrap up this now. So this deal, I'm, I'm, um, I have five of uh, the good research that shows if you're doing evaluations, it is useful to mostly not show results right away. If people tend to go. It influences people. I'm happy to show you by the results, but I don't think that the results will be shown as we do the question. Okay, oh, there is these questions. So, 
Let us get the fancy music technology. We put it in my call, guys. You know, we're high tech here. You want to do that? All right. We did that. Evaluation. The reason for evaluation, we really did was comment because this this thing we're about to do only so only so much. We'll do that before you take off. Why did this tell you? I am thirsty and thirsty for testimonials. If you have your time today, I will happily buy you a drink appetizer at where's the hilltop? Hill house. I will probably have a hilltop. Hilltop hilltop. Hilltop hilltop. All right. I'll say it again in a little while. Okay. How would you rate the value from the session today? From one to nine, nine is the highest.
And I understand you don't want to answer, but is there anything that you think white people should do? Or are we not be honest. Be honest. I do not think I've got, in my view, I did not give honest, logical information today. Logical, honest information about white supremacy and racism. That is the main thing that white people can do. I did not get that today. Is speaking or learning? Speaking. Okay. Speaking and sharing accurate, honest information, particularly about white supremacy and racism. That's yeah. one thing that white people could do that I would appreciate. I did not get that. Have you ever seen any venues in which they're doing that effectively? No. 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 I've been to the White Privilege Conference. I've been yeah. to lots of these. Nope. This is about standard. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that yes, with sir. me. I appreciate it. Yes, yeah. sir. Have a good one. Yeah, yes, sir. Take care. Uh, I'm going to ask him if he's married to a white person. <laughs> I saw him, he went in the background. Oh, okay. I'll definitely ask him. So was that she did the yoga instructions? Uh, she did. She said that she, uh, she said she doesn't trust any of the studios in Seattle. She said she rents. That's okay. She gave me her card. She said that's her uh, website. She said she's going to start her classes back up in April. Uh, but she does the yoga, racism, how that's all together. So. Thank you for sharing your, uh, your opinion, your perspective about doing yoga for me. For sure. What about it was helpful? Uh, I felt like. It was another piece of the puzzle for me as I was just trying to put this all together and understanding how to have these conversations as a white person with like a person like my father. But it seemed like it doesn't. How do I go further? How how does this feel in the context outside of a white world? You know, like our sort of white bubbles, right? So that was what I was hoping for me to. Get the sense like, hey, this isn't really going far enough. You know, this has, it has to go further than just the conversations at your dinner table with your parents. And stuff. Mm -hmm. 
South Is that clear? I understand. Appreciate that, Kai. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I'm probably the person who thought made the recent statement, so I apologize. That wasn't my intention. And then maybe I have the inherent racism and don't realize it, which is why I'm here. So I'm open to hearing your thoughts. And uh, I don't know, I just wanted to apologize because I didn't mean to do that. And, and if I did, it wasn't intentional. Uh, no apology needed. Um, just, if I had a dollar for every time that I've had a white person use the word attacked, when we are discussing racism, white supremacy, wow, I could have paid the entrance fee for today and taken probably a whole table of folks out for a great gourmet uh, dinner or lunch or whatever the case is, uh, particularly in a conversation about white supremacy and racism, to have a white person say that they've been attacked when nobody did anything did violent. context to you, though? Well, <laughs> nobody, nobody cursed, nobody interrupted. There was no name-calling to say that they've been attacked. That is pretty standard white victimhood, in my view, pretty standard act of racism and white supremacy. And it stops a lot of conversations about racism and white supremacy when people are, oh, my goodness, you're attacking white people. Well, and I'll, I'll say from, from the female perspective, mm -hmm. I've had to work really hard to speak up for myself in my workplace mm -hmm. and in different places. And I feel like often from my male colleagues who are white, they do attack. And so that's where that came from. It, it wasn't, and I hear what you're saying completely, that that wasn't the right word to use here. But in terms of me finding my voice, I've had to use that word, and that's where it came from. So I just wanted you to understand that. That's, uh, in my view, that has no bearing on this at all. I'm not a white male, uh, and it's been my experience well, that I'm black males, you, it's been my experience yeah. that black males do not exercise patriarchy over white women at all, and I suspect you know that. In fact, do black males dominate you? Do black males keep you from it? Absolutely not. And I'm just telling you, as, as a woman, I'm working really hard in my as workplace. As a white woman. As a white woman, okay? Amongst my peers, women and men, I work hard to use my voice. And sometimes I don't, and sometimes I feel attacked. And not in any context of race, but just from other people not wanting to hear it. And so. Were you attacked this morning? I was not, and that was the wrong word to use. So I, I recognize my words last week. But I also recognize, I understand for myself where it came from of learning to use my voice better. You think so, it could have also come from you being white and practicing racism, white supremacy? It possibly could have. And I don't, I would hope it hasn't, but I don't deny that. I mean, that's, I'm here to try to do a better job. So I just, I do actually have good intentions of being here. I didn't come here to try to find out, you know, like, now I'm going to be more careful with my words. Nothing else. I don't know. I don't know if that helps you, and you're like, yeah, it's bullshit, but whatever. That's where I'm coming from. Because I want to feel heard, and I want you to feel heard. And, you, know. you have been heard. Right. You have been heard. So you gave me things to think about, too, which is huge. You know? All right. Your daughter is the smartest person in the room, so she did not hear any evidence this morning at all that white people are going to stop practicing racism. Smartest How old is she? Smartest person in the room. Most honest person in the room today, in my opinion. Well, thank you. Thanks for being here. Sure. I'm just hanging around, Gus, and getting smiled a lot. Nigga, you're so brainwashed. I'm a victim, no brother. You're a victim. Hey, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>